Now connecting you to the College Sports Connection Podcast. Sports Connection Podcast. I'm your host, Alex the Captain. Joining me as always, AJ the Guru. Hey, what's going on, everybody? AJ, welcome back. Last week was a great show. We had Trisha Cullip from the University of Toledo women's basketball team on, talking about things over there, and I had a lot of fun with that one. Yeah, that was. It was great to get her perspective. And you know, she, you know, we've obviously had Coach Myers on, being a head coach, but it's also different getting you know perspective out of a from a coach who's on a big program, mm-hmm. and one of the bigger programs of the school. We had great insight, had some great stories, talked about some great, you know, her recruitment, which she played at Purdue and the whole high school with Muffet McGraw sitting on her couch in small Bicknell, Indiana. And so wild. There. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, that was a really fun conversation. Yeah, for sure. But I think this week we talked about it, kind of switching gears a little bit. As most people who listen to us know, we haven't really had much to talk about in the sports world. So AJ came up with the idea that we would be ranking our top five 30 for 30 by ESPN. Now, I just got a notification too. The Bruce Lee one starts right now. <laughs> yes, the B Water. So watch- oh, yeah, I'll have to watch that one on demand here this week because that'll be really good. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. But, but AJ, the, this was your idea, so yeah. I'll let you kick off with your number five, and maybe we just go back and forth, kind of talk yeah. about them a little bit. Yeah, it works for me. Let me put my list here. All right, my number five, one that I hold close to me is uh, Youngstown Boys okay. with uh, Maurice Claret, Jim Tressel, the O2 season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's one of those things where if you're a Buckeye fan and you followed it, you knew everything that was going on. But with Maurice Claret, one of his buddies being killed and the athletic director not allowing to leave and go to the funeral – you know, the injuries he went through that year, I believe it was against Michigan. He had a bum shoulder. He came back and played against Michigan and was able to get what he could done, like 60-some yards or something like that. But leading into that national championship game against Miami, which they actually just show, re-showed that game on ESPN like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And so that was really fun to watch. But when it came down to the intricate details of what happened with Maurice Claret, his life, being in Youngstown, of course, Trestle being having coached in Youngstown and knowing that area very well, you know they had kind of a special bond. Yeah. And uh, obviously, Maurice is not coming from the best of circumstances. I believe it was Warren High School up there. Yeah, that Harding, sounds right. Harding High School, you know, coming down to Columbus. But obviously, everybody knows what happened after football. You know, playing one year at Ohio State, getting in trouble, entering. I don't think he had even entered the draft. Was it? I don't remember. It was like he tried to draft. enter the draft, and they told him no. Yeah, because he like, only had one. Yeah. But he ended up in Denver for a hot minute. And then after that, things kind of went downhill with guns, alcohol, drugs, spent time in prison. I have his book, actually. And I've read that. And the book is actually just a compilation of letters he wrote back to his fiance or girlfriend at that time. Okay. It's actually a really interesting read. He assigned it for me. And so I have that on my mantle, which is really cool. But it's just kind of interesting. Obviously, the downfall of what he could have been. Mm-hmm. He could have won a Heisman Trophy. I don't. I don't think there's any question about that with his talent, no. especially those early teams that Ohio State had. But yeah, I think Youngstown Boys was one because I can remember too. We played our night around watching that when that first came out four or mm. five years okay. ago. So it was definitely a very interesting one for me. 
Okay. So that was your number five, right? Yep. Okay. So I think it's only appropriate that I am switching to the other side of that Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. I went with the Fab Five documentary. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a lot of history with that. They were the first team to ever have the starting five all freshmen in a national championship game. And it was it was interesting to watch that one. The thing that I thought was interesting, uh, Chris Weber was not involved with this one. He just mm-hmm. because because the relationships between him and the rest of that team were just so fractured. Yeah. And it's so wild to go almost twenty years later and one of the members of that team is now coaching, Joan Howard is now coaching the that men's basketball team in that same Chrysler arena. But they just really reshaped the, the structure of college basketball. As you're kind of watching this, um, one of the guys was talking about, yeah, we needed to have like 24-hour security for a college basketball team who just like two years prior was like an okay team. They, you know, they weren't anything special. So that was a uh, that was one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Obviously, number five, Michigan basketball before the scandal back in the mid '90s. Just mm-hmm. good Michigan basketball. Right, right. And so my number four, I'm going to go on to Believeland. Mm, yeah, uh, that was a great one for me. Obviously, the moments in it weren't good because mm-hmm. it covered the '95 '97 World Series, the drive, the fumble, red right '88, the shot, all that stuff, and then. They, after because the, the Cavs won the championship that year in 2016, they did an edited version of it and they changed the ending to a Cavs winning a championship. And so for me, that was awesome to mm-hmm. see that part, see all the celebrations in the bars and restaurants downtown, all the lifelong fans. You know, some few of the journalists from Cleveland or Tony Rizzo, those guys were in it. They're talking about you know those old days when their heartbreak was real. And to see them all edit the ending as they did, showing the Cavs winning the championships, just showing LeBron yelling, Cleveland, this is for you. Because um, mm-hmm. I've heard stories that. throughout my entire life from my dad, because he was around for the drive, the fumble, right around 88. He was there for all of that. There were season ticket holders at the time. Okay. He was there for all of that stuff. And so you know, he's talked about all the heartbreak and disappointment throughout the years and, and things like that. So this one was really cool because it showed, and especially, you know, Sometimes we forget about the 95 97 World Series. And in 95, I could, you know, having looked back and heard about it from the family, you know, we weren't really going to be expected to win that series because Atlanta was the gold standard of baseball then. Right. And so they were, you know, they were, they were the better team. It just, it's how it goes. We obviously should have beat Miami, mm-hmm. uh, the Florida Marlins, I guess you'd say. Yeah. More than Jose Mesa. And obviously mm, coming okay. in and having happened what happened. But that for me, that was a really cool, that was a really interesting one because there were a few small details I didn't know when they talked about the Browns leaving Cleveland and moving to Baltimore. There was a few details in there I didn't know about when it came to ownership and, and things like that. The relationship between the ownership and the city, a few things I didn't know. I found that all really interesting. Yeah, no, that's that. that's one I've been meaning to sit down and watch. My buddy Graham, who is a, he's from that area and he grew up, you know, big Cleveland sports fan. He loves that 30 for 30. That's one of his Mm -hmm. favorites. And so that's one that I need to sit down and watch, but that, yeah, that's such a cool thing to like, to see all those moments. I'm, I'm as a Browns or as a Cleveland fan, I'm sure it's just absolutely agonizing reliving that moment, but as a sports fan in general, it's so, it's just so crazy. You can't help but feel bad for Cleveland sports fans because they're like, you've gone through so much to get nothing. I mean, finally the Cavs win it all in 16, but like 
all that time you had these great teams and just it fluke play or fluke, you know, whatever just always happened at the wrong time. Yeah, it really did. You're talking uh, some Cleveland sports. For my number four, I went with the playing for the mob, the okay. Boston College point shaving scandal of the mm-hmm. 70s. That was pretty far reaching, not with like administrators, but with people, not only the players, but the people who were basically telling the players, like, if you don't play, if you don't do this, we're going to break your hands. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting there and I'm watching this and I'm listening to this dialogue. And the thing that kind of stuck out to me was the players didn't seem to care because they were getting money, but not everybody was on board. Like they couldn't, there were certain players, like they wouldn't ask. They're like, well, we can't ask them because this whole thing will blow up. And so it was really, really interesting to watch like them talk about who they were picking and what games they were picking. There's like 10 games that from that season, I think they finished 22 and nine. There are 10 games from that season that were affected by this, where they, you know, won bets and lost bets in today's money. Those guys, the three guys made something like $350,000 on those 10 games. And it's just, so I thought that was a really, really interesting 30 for 30. It was fun to watch. It was pretty informative, but I was just, I'm sitting here like they, these guys were in deep with the mafia and the mob or the mob rather. And they were in deep, you know, with loan sharks and just, it was pretty wild. That's one I haven't watched yet. I'll need to. Yeah, for sure. They have so many good ones on there. Mm-hmm. I haven't even, I haven't even thought about it. I feel uh, like we're going to have one close to the top. I'm not going to say it yet, but there's one I think that you and I are going to have both probably in our top two, just because it makes the most sense. But uh, yeah. go ahead and with your number three. My number three is actually the one I just watched last weekend. That was Lance. Okay. Uh, Lance Armstrong. I, I suggested that you watch it and you did. Mm-hmm. It was a, a two part series. <laughs> and the only th- there was so much I got out of this, but Lance Armstrong's an asshole. That's like yeah. the, Biggest thing I got out of this entire documentary was Lance Armstrong is an asshole. Well, and he just didn't care. No. He cared so little about anything he did. He's like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Whatever. Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Right? He didn't even think like, it didn't seem like he was remorseful for much. No. And it's hard to kind of take him serious in this aspect too, because is he telling the truth? And it was was a two-part series, but... And it was cool kind of going back to early years talking about doing triathlons. I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what he was doing and, and, and doping in that EPO and, and things like that and lying about it to federal investigators for years. Mm-hmm. I mean, he lied under oath. I don't know how he ever avoided prison. Yeah. I that, I mean, he was there's fined a lot. Millions, yeah. millions and millions of dollars. And then it came to the, the Live Strong Foundation. And right when this stuff came out, you didn't see those yellow bands at Dick's Sporting Goods counters anymore. No. And they were everywhere. Like, not even just at Dick's. Like, if you went to school and didn't have one, you weren't one of the cool kids. Absolutely. And I think he said, I don't know if it was in that interview or the interview I watched with him with uh, Joe Rogan, but they sold 85 million of those at a dollar apiece. That's so many. Wow. Yeah, it was incredible. And, like, granted – Obviously, you just can't take EPO and it helps your game. You have to train. Sure. And, and, and things like that, which he did. I mean, he was biking, running, biking, doing like swimming constantly. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that whole team, not only just him, but the entire team, he was making guys do it. And his relationship with Floyd Landis, 
and you know, for our viewers can go watch it. But he does not like Floyd anymore at all. Right. And Floyd's in the documentary, and a lot of the team, team members from the U.S. Postal Service team are in that documentary. And writers from Europe, a lot of guys from Italy, those guys were in it too talking about it. And Because it was the culture back before Lance got there. Right. And he just kind of brought it back when it comes to the doping and, and things like that. But I thought that was very interesting. It was a hard one to stop watching. Yeah, I was. I, I admit, I was pretty disappointed that it was only a two episode thing. Oh, they could have done a last dance of that one. Oh, very much so. And I was kind of expecting that, honestly. However, there is so much good content from that. Your assertion is correct. Lance Armstrong just sucks as a human being, like one hundred percent. Like, there's no other way around it. Right? No, not at all. <laughs> and then we find out his son plays football at Rice. Right. So, and I know we talked about it and, you know, we don't want to, I, I want to make sure that we aren't accused of libel or slander, but the, I have a hard time believing Lance would be upset with his son if it, we found out his son was doping. Right. Cause he, he was so nonchalant about that. Yeah. That conversation came Just up, did not so. care. No. Moving on to my number three. The show was small potatoes who killed the USFL, you know, guys like Jim Kelly, Steve Young. Herschel Walker, this was like a revolutionary football league because they were a direct competition to the NFL that they haven't seen since the AFL-NFL days. Right, because they had the talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, yeah, they had a lot of talent. They talked about how a lot of these teams were offering money that the players, like, they couldn't promise the players even though they were promising it to them. They were just inflating all of their stuff. And it talked about their last season and how they voted to switch to a fall league to compete directly with the NFL. And that's what killed them. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so crazy. I mean, you know, people can say what they want about president Trump. The dude has owned so many different things. Like he owned the New Jersey generals on here. And he was one of the guys who was like, Hey, let's make this compete. And the idea was not a bad idea. They just didn't execute it the correct way because they didn't have their own stadiums. They were renting stadiums from NFL teams. NFL teams are like, we see what you're doing. No, we're not letting you rent our stadium. You know, it, it made, so the NFL was able to shut it down, but they, the USFL, this is my favorite thing of this whole documentary. The USFL won a judgment against the NFL. They, there is an antitrust lawsuit about a monopoly. They won the judgment that the NFL had violated that. But the victory was purely that. It was just a courtroom victory. The judge awarded the USFL $3 (laughs) in victory money. Jeez. Like... I I need to rewatch that one. Oh, it's so good. It's one of my favorites. Just, it was so good. They had lost over $163 million when they finally folded. And in that time, that's a lot of money. Yeah, that's... That's almost $400 million in today's money. Jeez. So that was a fun one to watch. Yeah. My number two, I actually rewatched it the other day. Brian and the Boz. Okay. I haven't I watched you, that one yet. Oh, so Brian Boz. Oh, that was so good. Okay. He was just a bad dude in Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, he was a stereotypical middle linebacker who just wanted to come across the middle and punish you. Okay. He, that's all he wanted to do. And he grew up in high school. His dad was one who 
it was a rough relationship it's from what it sounds like because his dad had such high expectations okay. and would keep stats of him throughout games and if he, even if he had a good game he'd go boz why'd you miss this tackle why'd you do this or that or the other wow. but never focus on the positive he always focused on the negative and he was born and raised in texas he ended up going to oklahoma under barry switzer and whatnot so you know kids at that age living in Texas, didn't leave Texas. Mm-hmm. They went to Texas, they went to A&M, they went to SMU, TCU, something like that, and he left and went to Oklahoma. And so you know, that was one of those things, too, where people in Texas didn't really appreciate that because he's homegrown. They want to keep him there. He obviously went to Oklahoma, did great things. Then while there, he got in trouble for talking to a, a scout, mm-hmm. had to sit out a national championship game, and then he wore a shirt that essentially called the NCAA communist Russia on the sidelines. Oof. Got on TV, and even Switzer even told him before the game, don't do anything to embarrass us. Don't you know, Nothing. He's like, all right, all right, that's fine. And then he wore something saying, welcome to communist Russia under the NCAA name. So, obviously, he was suspended from the team. He, he entered the supplemental draft, and then he always said he was only going to play for Oakland. Came over the L.A. or Oakland Raiders at the time, but either one, he said he'd play for the Raiders. Okay. Well, the supplemental draft that didn't happen, he ended up being picked up by Seattle, and he didn't want to go there. And so he kept saying he wasn't going to go, he wasn't going to go, and they actually gave him a nice contract, eleven million dollars, and he ended up going. And then one of that was from Bo Jackson's rookie year as well, and so that was kind of like Bosworth versus Bo Jackson. Bo just ran completely over him. And, and Bosworth only played maybe 20-some games in the league until his shoulders gave out on him. Doctors had told him his, he had the shoulders of a 60-year-old man, and that was kind of the end of his career. Yeah. But it was kind of interesting, too, because he has a storage unit with all of his Oklahoma stuff in it. And so he and his son went there and reminisced through stuff and, and things like that. So it's kind of really interesting to watch. For sure. No, that seems like a super – Super good show, or a super good 30 for 30. That's definitely one I'll have to check out. Yeah. So I think now we are on to my number two. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much I've told you. I am absolutely thrilled by the O.J. Simpson story, the whole yeah. thing. Um, so this one, the they did an O.J. Made in America. This one came out just a couple years ago. That one is so good. Now, I I watch a lot of O.J. stuff like – you know, they have different theories and, you know, whatever. There's a series on Netflix right now. It's called The People versus OJ. Yep, I remember that came out. And that's super good. But the OJ Made in America one, it was so cool to hear directly from the people in his circle and, like, involved in those cases. There was one I saw that they suggested, and I wasn't going to watch it because we were doing this, but they, they have one that was related. It was called June 17th, 1994. And mm-hmm. that came out a decade ago talking about the Bronco chase. Yeah. So that one was super. That was was the same day as Arnold Palmer's last golf tournament. Yep. And then I think the NBA finals were going on at the same time. Yep. Yeah, that was a, that was a very crazy situation. Mm -hmm. You weren't alive for that, were you? What was that? 92? 94. Yeah, I was born. Yeah, I was alive. I was 92. Okay. Yeah, I was going to be four years old that year mm-hmm. but yeah so that was a really good one you kind of got to see you know interviews from like i said the people who were around simpson throughout his life you know around him during the case people talking about him being acquitted for the murders 
it was it was pretty intense and it was one that it's not one that i really felt like they had done before in this style so that was really really cool to see kind of a shift in style because when that came out there was a few other documentaries of oj Mm -hmm. the one that john travolta and david schwimmer were in and cuba gooding jr like they were all was that the one yeah, that's the people versus OJ. That's people. Okay, because that came out like the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those. Yeah, those were so good. Yeah, it's it's interesting the whole, all the theories and and, and whatnot, and then he goes to prison for stealing his memorabilia back. Right. Like you were a free man, man. Yeah, and then he's free again. So he is golfing out yeah. in Vegas now. Nothing wrong with that. Is he in Vegas or in Florida? Vegas. From what I understand, he still owes a bunch of money to her family. Yeah. And so there's like a couple states where there's like some kind of money laws where they can't take pension money or retirement money or something. Right. And I think Nevada and Florida are two of those states. Ah, yeah, that makes sense. Because I know his, his NFL pension is protected. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's, but that was a really good one. That's one I definitely recommend. Well, there you go. My number one is You Don't Know Bo. Okay. Jackson. Okay. That for me was, I think he's the greatest athlete of all time. Sure. Well, I think he is. Just the way he was able to be an all-star in baseball, uh, pro bowler in football. Mm-hmm. I think he's just the best. I mean, you know, because you don't see guys with that kind of talent anymore. No, not at all. And it's so interesting. I don't know if you've watched it or not. Not yet. But it has there's like theories, you know, how strong he is, what he could do or when kids would run inside hmm. or he jumped flat footed on a car or he hit the top light and light post in the baseball stadium at Auburn. It just, the theories and the mythology behind him. Cause that's what kind of what he was referred to as a mythological creature that he was. Yeah. So all these stories that Bo could do this, Bo could do that. And I'm willing to bet most of them he could do like when he was with the Royals, he broke that bat over his head and then right. There's a fly ball he caught in outfield. He walked up the wall and came back down. Just the list goes on and on. How fast he was in football on the outside. You know, get on the outside, going down the sidelines. Nobody was going to catch him. No, not at all. He was definitely, I think, one of a kind, playing two sports the way he did and dominated in both. George Steinbrenner wanted him out of high school. The Yankees had sent a scout down to Alabama to him, and he wanted to go to college. Auburn's coach came up. Well, both Auburn and Alabama came there. They go, look, we know you want to stay in state. It's just a matter of who you want to pick. So he picked Auburn, and I think it worked out pretty well for him. Yeah, I think uh, I think he did a few few solid things uh, in out uh, through his career. <laughs> yeah, just one or two, right? Exactly. That's all you needed. But yeah, if you want another one to watch, add that one to your list. That was okay. Yeah, I will definitely put that one in my queue because that's uh because I've got the ESPN plus so I can pull all of them up whenever, which is nice. So I'll definitely watch that one this week. My number one, the U. Yeah. I love that because those guys, everybody talks about the bad boys of Detroit and you know how different things kind of define different sporting arenas. The U was just something else. There was nothing, and I still don't think today – I mean, I think today we see a little bit more of it, but that whole team was just littered with everybody just doing whatever they wanted because they could win. Mm-hmm. And they could do what they wanted because they got away with it. Well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're in, a, you're in a, essentially a party town that's trying to create an image for itself. Oh, you're a football player? 
it's all like it's all homegrown guys. That was the thing about the U uh, back in the eighties is all those guys were from that area. Like Mm -hmm. very few of them were out of state or even out of Miami area recruits. Right. They were all local Fort Lauderdale, that whole area. Yeah. So like they're all former high school rivals, but they all know each other because they grew up playing like peewee leagues and stuff. So they said, look, let's just go play here. We stay home. We're heroes to the home. And oh yeah, we'll just kick everybody up and down the field. I think one of my favorite things from that is how Jimmy Johnson, the coach, he he just would coach games and he'd refuse to let up the gas. So he'd have yeah. his third and fourth stringers in passing at the end of the game. And I'm just like, that's just so nuts. Like, you don't see that at all today. No, not even nowhere near it. Oh, I was going to say something about that one too. And I forgot all about it. Cause I can't think it was a two part series, right? Yeah. And where do they end? I didn't, they, so I only watched the first one because they did a U part two later. Okay. Was it wasn't out. like, it wasn't a, I mean, it was a sequel, but it was basically about the fall of Miami in the 2000s. Okay. So like Al Coker and stuff like that. Yeah. He kind of lost control of the, the program. Oh, very much so. Very uh, much There was so. another one I loved too that was, I was chasing Tyson. Mike Tyson, that was a really good one also. He and, oh, why names? I'm not doing good with names today. No, you're uh, fine. Evander Holyfield. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are two battles you know, in, the, in, the, in the day. Talk about Tyson going to prison mm-hmm. and how they kind of skipped out. Holyfield missed out on Tyson's prime and things like that for them to fight. That was actually a really interesting one. There was another one, Buster Douglas and Tyson. I think it was like 42-0 or 42-1 and it was called. Yeah, I saw that one. I haven't watched uh, it, but I saw it was available. Yeah. Then did you end up watching the Dennis Rodman one? No, I, I'd seen it and like it looked interesting. I like scrolled through the list because I knew we were doing this. And I'm like, you know what? This looks a little more interesting. I'll put Dennis Rodman on later. Right. And there was that one too, Jordan Rides the Bus, uh, minor league baseball one. Yeah. Which I think most of that was just covered in the last dance. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Winning time was really good too with the Pacers and Knicks. That was a good one. Spike Lee. Yeah, this was the XFL. That was an exciting one. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about the original XFL. Yeah, there's the Ricky Williams one is really interesting, I thought. Kind of the life he's lived now, post-athletics. Right. Uh, oh, five, five Slam a Jamma, that was really good, too. Okay. About the Houston uh, Cougars basketball team. They just do so many good ones, and I'm excited to watch the Bruce Lee one tonight. And then they have the new one coming out also about McGuire and Sosa. That comes out this summer, and that'll be awesome. Yeah, no, that one the looks whole, really, really, really the good. The whole whole home run race and steroid race is going to be so good. I'm uh, Yeah, I'm super pumped to see all of that. I think that there's a lot of really cool things that they could do with that for the fans, but also to really like highlight you know, like you said, the steroids and the race and just, there's a lot of really cool things they can do for that. Yeah. I think that whole era of baseball is just so interesting in itself. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Cause I mean, if they're not going to allow baseball guys into the hall of fame due to steroids, there's going to be a whole era of baseball players not going in. Oh, a hundred percent. In the way I look at it too, Barry Bonds was an all-star before he started juicing. Mm-hmm. He was an all-star in Oakland. I don't know. There's going to be just a whole era of guys who won't be in the hall. I think I, I attribute that to the course of baseball writers association 
Those mm-hmm. are all old guys. You know, they're all old, stuck in the old baseball ways. Right. You know, they're not with the times. They're not the ones who are pushing. I'm all for, you know, Pete Rose to get into the hall. But sure. those guys won't allow it because they're too, they're too stuck in the old time baseball. Right. Because baseball did have that appeal. It still does in the sense that it's played a certain way. You know, well, exactly. It's, it's a sport that they're very stuck in their ways mm-hmm. and they don't deviate. We're seeing that right now with the negotiations. Yeah. Which we could do a whole episode on that. Oh, we absolutely could. That's uh, you and I both big baseball fans, both very frustrated right now. Yeah. Well, I sent you that podcast to listen to on Barstool at KFC radio with the former commissioner. Yeah. How perfect was that? What he was saying. Wow. He, uh, he pulled, like I said, he pulled no punches. No, everything he said he was right about. A hundred percent. hundred percent. And this is not a good year for this with the CBA and with the Astros deal. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's a whole other episode for another day. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, talking about the McGuire. So someone coming up here soon. Yeah. Yeah. I think, Cause that's going to involve a lot of guys who have hall of fame stats, but we're juicing. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious to see who was all in that one. I hope like Parmero and Canseco, I hope all of them are in it too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, man, that's going to be such a fun one. Yeah, that's going to be – I can't wait to see that one. I'll just, I'll just check when it comes out. I'm not sure when it does. Yeah. So I think that covers it kind of for our top five apiece, I guess. So, I mean, obviously, I was surprised. I thought at one you would have the U in there at one point just because of how iconic that, that team or that, that run of Miami football was. But that was the one I was thinking we were both going to have. Mm. Um, on the list but you know it's the fact that we had no crossover was actually kind of cool i'll be honest yeah of all the options we had right for sure for sure so we did get a couple mailbag questions this week i posted on the twitter letting people know we were recording tonight any random college questions for us to let us know we actually did get a couple good ones from deep thought or at ryan cb 83 he reached out to us and he said What's your top road environments you've been to for any sport? What made that fun to experience? I commented from the account. I don't know if you got a chance to see that or not, but I commented from the account and I was telling him, I got to see Michigan play at Notre Dame back mm-hmm. when Denard Robinson was playing for Michigan and both Notre Dame and Michigan were like 4-0, 3-0, whatever. And it was super cool to get to watch Denard just be Denard against Notre Dame. He just, for whatever reason, he was a wizard against Notre Dame, late game, you know, magic, whatever it was, Notre Dame just couldn't beat him. And so that was really, really cool. The stadium was pumping. Everybody was losing their minds. That was such a great environment. And you've been to Notre Dame Stadium. Yeah, their stadium. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful stadium. Like, it's a very nice facility. Mm-hmm. So that was one of my favorites. I don't know if you have any special road my- environments. Oh. Mine was Ann Arbor, 2013, Ohio State, Michigan. Mm. I went over for that one. That's when Tyvis Powell intercepted it in the goal line, the two-point yep. conversion. That was a really fun one. Uh, that was a I great was, game. Yeah, it was. And it was a great game to be at. You know, It was typical fall weather, typical November weather. It was cold. Mm. Of course, the sun went down behind the stadium and it got cold real quick. Right. <laughs> but it's so cool, too, when as an Ohio State fan, you travel to other stadiums. How many Ohio State fans are actually there? Because right. uh, Ohio State can travel to any stadium and be have more fans there than the home team. It happens all the time. 
Like I go down to Bloomington when the Buckeyes are down there, and it's eighty-five percent Ohio State fans. I right. think Purdue when I go there. My parents went to Northwestern this year to that game, and it was seventy-five percent Ohio State fans. And same thing when I go to the Big Ten Championship. Of course, Columbus isn't far from Indy, but it's still 75-80% Ohio State fans. Right. Where else have I been? Been to Illinois. That's, you know, 75% Ohio State fans. So, Is that even really a rivalry anymore? Like, let's be really honest with the, ourselves. Oh, the Ill, the Buck Trophy? Yeah. No, I didn't like, make does, it. Does anybody at Illinois remember what that looks like? Right. Well, they had an 07 with Juice Williams. That's, that's the last right. Time. That's right. I remember that game because that was the night of my semi-formal, like freshman year of high school. Uh, and then we were ranked one. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like the last time they actually beat us. But and then yeah. Illinois went on to play in the Rose Bowl that year against USC, right? Yeah. Ron Zook was their coach. Yep. Back in the day, it used to be a real turtle way back when. But now, okay. obviously, I don't really understand the purpose of it, but it's there. It's a trophy. It just never doesn't leave Columbus very often. Yeah, <laughs> once every 25 years. <laughs> but I will say, though, too, uh, road, another road environment I really did enjoy was Northern Illinois. 2013, I went there for the Ball State Northern Illinois game. Yeah. And both of our teams were really hot. But NIU has a really good facility. That was a, they put out a All really that good BCS show. money. Exactly. Yeah, no, Northern Illinois. I, that's that's one road trip I want to do because that's become quite the rivalry between Toledo and Northern Illinois. I've been down to Bowling Green for the Bowling Green-Toledo game as a night game, and mm-hmm. that was really cool. But I wouldn't say it was like electric. Toledo ended up winning that game. It was it was something 66 to 24 or something. Like it, mm-hmm. was, it was stupid. The stands were empty at halftime. Like, it, I mean, it was game over. But yeah, yeah I definitely would love to watch Toledo and Northern Illinois play at Northern Illinois. I, that's yeah. such a fun rivalry. Yeah, it's a fun stadium to go to, that's for sure. We did have another. We've got a couple other ones here. One of the questions we got was, if athletes could profit from jersey sales back in the early 2000s, I'm assuming he means college athletes, whose college jersey do you think would have sold the most? That question comes from friend of the show, Dev with three Vs, or at Mr. Potter underscore two. So I think Reggie Bush. That that and that's who I commented. I said there, you know, there are a bunch of great options, but Reggie Bush is the one that screams to mind. Who else would? That? Well, I think you you got to look at. Yeah, I think Adrian Peterson. Peterson. Pat Tebow, White. Pat White. Matt uh, Leinart. Matt Leinart. Probably Peyton, Mike Hart. Mike Hart. Peyton Manning, maybe. Peyton Manning was in the '90s, though. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he graduated in like '98 or something. That's right. But yeah, I mean, but you think about Maurice, those... Maurice Claret. Well, I, I mentioned that too. Like for that yeah. season, Maurice Claret's jerseys would have just flown off the yeah. shelves. Yeah. Try to think of guys maybe out west. I can't really, besides Bush. Bush um, and Liner were kind of the big games, um, or the big names rather, because Alabama Clay, wasn't relevant at that time. Clay Matthews Jr. Ooh, that's right. Yeah. USC. Oh, well, I mean, you know, speaking of Clay Matthews and guys like that, I mean, you probably could have put A.J. Hawk, you know. Uh, yeah, he could, he could have made some. I, I had a 47 jersey. Still have it. He signed it for me. That's tough. And there's, I mean, if you were to go back to maybe even the 90s a little bit, like the Ro- or Charles Woodson. LaDainian Tomlinson. L- yeah, LT. I'm pulling up a list from the 2000s players. I'm cheating a Vince little bit. Young. Ed Reed from Miami, maybe. Maybe. Oh, I mean, yeah, Miami's team was loaded with talent. Kellen oh, Winslow. Yeah. Willis McGahee. Mm-hmm. Oh, he would have made a bunch. Roy Williams, the defensive yeah. back from Oklahoma. Carson wow. Palmer. 
Palmer would have been a good one. Probably Aaron Rodgers. This is another obvious one. And he was only a kicker, but he would have made a bunch of money. Mike Nugent. Yeah. Terrell Suggs. Uh, Arizona State. Yeah. Gronk. Yep. Gronk. Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah. Wow. There's a a lot of these guys that are in the, the golden years of their NFL career. It's so wild seeing their names again. Braylon Edwards. Yeah, I can see that. You you just don't want to admit it. I, it's fine. You no, can, I you can see that. He was, <laughs> you know, I think Vince Young goes without saying. You said Tim Tebow. I agree with you there. Troy Smith would have made some good money off of his jersey. I think. I think honestly. so too. Yeah, that's his senior year. Calvin Johnson. Yeah. Wow, a lot of great guys. Reggie Nelson. Yeah, that's right. Darren McFadden. He's an Oklahoma guy too. Arkansas. That's right. Yeah, there's that's a lot of a lot of good guys that would have. Made quite a bit off of their names. Colt McCoy, Sam Brad, uh, Colt McCoy more than Sam Bradford, but Michael Crabtree, Des Bryant. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, there's a lot of cool names. There's a lot of names you bring up and you forget about them. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, you forget that they played in that period because they weren't as big a name at that time. Mm -hmm. Now they're, you know, claw for them in fantasy leagues. I did have one last one, and we we can go over this one. This one was a bit tough, so I did have to do some research. Take the last three to five Mid-American Conference Players of the Year and you can place them on any team in college football to best maximize their talents. Where would you place them and why? Well, there's no consensus like player of the year. They just have it offensive and defensive for football. Looking at the defensive players, you know, they've got Sutton Smith who plays for Seattle now. He's a line or a defensive end for Northern Illinois. And then Khalil Mack from 2013. Mm-hmm. I figured we could take those two guys and then I'm going to pick two offensive players here. I went with Logan Woodside and Corey Davis. Those guys are both yeah. still in the NFL. Everybody else isn't. Mm-hmm. I think... And offensively, too, I throw Willie Steed in there because he's still in the league. Yep. You probably put Kareem Hunt in there, too. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. is like Kareem Hunt never won a player of the year in the MAC. And that's that's crazy, too, because he had Jordan Lynch he had to contend with. Yep, he had to contend with Jordan Lynch, and then Matt Johnson had his breakout campaign in 2015, Kareem's senior year. Oh, no, Kareem's senior year was 2016, where Corey Davis had his record-setting campaign. Mm-hmm. And then Logan Woodside from Toledo won it the year yeah. after. Obviously, as you can expect, most of this offense list is quarterbacks for, you know, quarterbacks and running backs. I think if you if I could put if I could plug Corey Davis into any program, I would love to see Western Michigan's version of Corey Davis at Alabama. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, because they just—they're so good at the the play actions and the run pass options, and I mean, he's just so quick, and he had stupid good hands his senior year. Just nobody was touching him. I mean, he, we even saw him kind of torch what it was at Wisconsin in the was that the Sugar Bowl? I think so. Yeah. So I mean, you know, he the the kid could play, and especially in college. Yeah. yeah, he really could. It's kind of so fun too, especially when you come to the MAC and the Mid American or the Mid Majors. Some of the names that come out of it, you go, oh, yeah, I forgot he played there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and then you, know, you think Khalil Mack, and right now I would say he's arguably the biggest name from the Mack currently playing, specifically on the defensive side. Offensive side, you've got a couple of nice players. But yeah. defensively, you've got Khalil Mack. And, I mean, he's just a freaking tank, dude. Like He is. I think his brother was just drafted by – where's he drafted to? I think he's actually in Oakland. Or no. Where's Clues of Chicago? 
I care. His his brother was either just drafted or just signed by Ladarius Mack. Yeah, Ladarius Mack is with. He is now with Chicago. Is he with the Bears too? Okay. Yep. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah, it's it's great for those mid majors to have guys in the league because it's a great recruiting tool as well. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, and it looks good to those programs. Like you get those guys playing in the NFL. Like Ball State, you guys had a quarterback a couple of years ago play in the league for Cincinnati. Yeah, um, Keith Wen. Yeah, Keith Wenning. And uh and I mean that's huge. Like every one of those mid majors, they thrive on that. They're like, Yes, look at us. We have we've in the last ten years we've put X amount of guys in the NFL. We lead the conference or we lead, you know, the division, whatever. Like they had Eric such Fisher a couple years ago be the number one overall pick. I forgot about that. Wow. So yeah, there's so many, so many great guys that that unfortunately, given the nature of the name of the game being a mid American conference school, they don't get the respect I don't think some of them deserve. But yeah, again, unfortunately that's how that is. And especially with the landscape of college football right now, is just to see what's gonna happen to some of these schools and their programs. Oh, for sure. But you and I talked about earlier, BG's baseball program will be will be back. That's right. That that was an interesting fundraising campaign. I'm really happy for those players that they get the opportunity to continue to play for for the school that recruited them, for the for the program that said, "Hey, we want you." I'm so glad that they get to come back and do that, but that transfer portal is so screwed up right now. Yeah. Cuz those kids have been talking to coaches for the last 4 weeks. They, I mean, they've had to. That you told them the program was canceled, like they they had to start talking. They had to start looking. Yeah, and you know that's, I don't know, because they're gonna be they'll be able to transfer and not sit out. I'm assuming with the circumstances the way they mm-hmm. are. I mean, so, I, that's what I would imagine. I don't know. That's gonna be really interesting. And then depending on what schools go back on campus this year, that could have a defa- an effect on it as well. Yeah. So who, who knows? They're, I don't think anybody knows right now. I think that's what we're learning. Well, the, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, obviously as this, the year draws closer, we are, we're definitely going to learn a little bit more, but it's one of those things we know nothing right now, wow. which sucks. You know, as sports really fans, I'd, I'd really love to be able to say, yes, I know this for sure, but unfortunately that's we, the nature of the game. Exactly. So, partner, that's all I had on my end. Yeah, man. I think I'm pretty set over here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We definitely appreciate it. If you guys have suggestions for other 30 for 30s that you think we should watch, tweet them at us. You know, throw them up on the Facebook page, whatever. We'd love to get your guys' feedback. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say. We want to make sure that we, uh, we're continuing to engage with you guys as our fans. We appreciate the love and support you guys have shown us thus far and look forward to many more episodes of love and support from you guys down the road. We are also at 450 followers on Twitter. If we get to 500, I think we might, if AJ's cool with it, I think we might do like a giveaway or something. Yeah. So let's push it. Let's get to 500 followers. Like us, share us out. For those who don't follow us already, you can follow us on Twitter at College Sport Pod. You can check out my own personal at Sheer Dumb Luck. You can also follow AJ at Roughing 55. Make sure you guys take the opportunity to go follow our Beard Cousins, the Beard Brothers Fantasy Football Podcast, cranking out a lot of rankings as of late, talking about things for the upcoming season, talking about rookies, talking about a bunch of different things, how that's, how the lack of rookies getting the opportunity to work with players here in the offseason with COVID have kind of affected teams, fantasy values, and more. Be sure to check them out. They're hilarious, got great content, and I think – I'm going to be a guest on their show this week, as in filling in for the other AJ, because he is on a trip in Oklahoma right now. So 
I may be on the show. So you guys will want to check that out for sure. So yeah, AJ, anything else you wanted to add? That's it for me. Cool. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and we will see you next week. See ya.